Let us pray. With millions of people who are worshiping on a Sunday today, we bow our heads before our Lord and our God. We are all united in you. We are all the family of God because we are followers of Jesus. Amazing to think that we are not alone in this world, that millions, millions of people today were like us sitting in a building somewhere or underneath a tree or wherever they were, worshiping the God that revealed himself to us. We come to you today and we thank you, Lord, for your involvement. We come to you today, O Lord, and we thank you for your revelation. We come to you today, O Lord, and we thank you for your interest in us, in our own personal small lives. The James Webb Telescope has shown us how huge this universe of ours is. We peer into the deepest, deepest of space and discover just more and more fascinating things that you have made. Who are we, David said, that you are even thinking of us? Who are we to be as arrogant as we are about life and living if we are surrounded by the beauty of your creation? So thank you that we can be here, united with all our brothers and sisters in Christ, to have a Bible that we can read and know that the Holy Spirit who inspired the people to write is also with us. Help us today and me that needs to share some of the wisdom of this book for us as we continue to try to serve you and your kingdom the best we can. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Uncertainty. Questioning. Hesitating. Then a voice from the side says, you can do this. Just believe in yourself. Words that I think most of us have heard in our lives, where somebody helped to encourage us to move forward with whatever we had to do, and we were not really sure. Words that I have used in my life where I have said to my kids, I think you are able to accomplish something because you can. The problem is, if that is the only thing that we have to offer to our children and to the world, we create a culture of the self-made person. Because eventually there are now some people in this world that believe with all their hearts that the only one that they need to believe in is in themselves. That they themselves have all the ability and all the power and all the authority in a sense to carve out their own identity, to carve out their own path, and to carve out their own destination. So I found this online. Uh, follow your bliss and the universe will open doors for you where there were only walls. I have no idea what it means. <laughs> uh, but to the person who it meant something, it's probably profound, the statement that was made here. But that in a way was to me a little bit of a, an exclamation mark of the world that we live in that are trying to find the answer within themselves constantly and believe 
Well, you need to believe in yourself, and if you fail a little bit, then you need to believe in others. You need to believe in the system of medical people that can help you if you are sick or whatever. What is the result of this? The result of this is that we have now people around us that surround us that are quite arrogant. We have people around us that are quite obnoxious. We have people around us that are extremely disrespectful and people that are extremely disobedient. You see, we have created a culture of people that believe so much in themselves that they don't believe that they need any correction. I am the master of my own destiny, and I will carve out, as you saw in that picture, what I believe is the right thing for me to do. And now you drive and you honk at a person who cut you off that did the stupid thing and that guy wants to come and kill you. Because people just do not want to hear from anyone everywhere or anywhere that what I'm doing is not right, it's wrong, it's not good. It's me. I am now the God. Now, in this series I'm busy with, we're going to look at faith today. It's the number third, the third one in this list of things that I'm going to share with you. Because I asked myself the question, so what does it mean to be a faithful person then in a time like this? And that's what we're going to look at today. Now, don't read. Let me go back for a moment. If you open your Bible, you will find the word faith almost on every single page of the Bible. Somewhere you'll find it. So there are countless of scriptures and there are countless of sections in the Bible that deal with faith. And you know this and I know this. For an example... Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. That's a wonderful definition of faith that you'll find in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And then the writer of the Hebrews continue about the faith of people and how their faith lives were or are an example for us. Uh, in Romans, you, Corinthians, Paul says, For we live by faith, not by sight. In John, the Lord says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So there's this large library of evidence that faith is extremely important in the Bible. But I'm going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to look at faith from a completely different angle. I'm going to look at faith from what David wrote in Psalm 30, 30, 34. Let's read this. I will bless the Lord at all times, David says. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes it boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord. He answered me, delivered me from all my fears. Look to him and be radiant, so your face shall never be ashamed. This poor soul cried and was heard by the Lord and was saved from every trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who seek refuge in him or take refuge. Oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear him have no want. The young lions suffer. The young lions suffer want and hunger. But those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, 
Oh, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. David was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel when he was just but a young boy, taking care of the field outside. That happened years and years and years ago. In the mind of David, is that even true? In the mind of David, did that even have any meaning? He was called from the, from the flock that he was tending to. The prophet stood there, poured oil on his head, and said, you're going to be the king of Israel. Fantastic. He went back to his sheep. And that's where he's been hanging out until he was asked to play the lyre in the presence of Saul the king. And then things started to go really bad for David. Because at some point, Saul became extremely jealous of David, and he decided to kill David. So now you are hated by the king, you are hunted by the king, and you are not doing that well if the king of the country wants to take you out. So David is fleeing. He's in the wilderness. The wilderness looks like this in Israel. It's terrible. It's the area where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found and whatever. There's no water. There's nothing. But that's the place where you should go when you want to hide from the king who wants to kill you. At this point, David has lost his family. He has lost his friends. He has nothing. He's hanging out with bandits. And at some point now, he was in the presence of Gath. And the king there said, but he, this is David. This is David. We need to get rid of this guy. And David said, it's not me. And he started to act like a crazy guy with, with his nails. He was scratching on the walls and on the doors. What an embarrassment for poor David. To act like a complete idiot crazy person to be released. And to go where? Back into the wilderness? Back into the wilderness. He had no idea that this story would pan out. We know the ending. David had no clue. No clue. We know he became eventually the king of Israel, but at this point in his life, I think he's sitting in the cave and asking himself, so what is this all about? Then he sat down and he wrote a song. The psalm that we just read now, Psalm 34, where he says the following. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And the times he was referring to was his wilderness time that he's now in. Surrounded by a culture, that's a culture of Saul. Surrounded by a culture of the Philistines that are also hunting him. So, surrounded by a culture of bandits that's now sort of his friends because he tries to survive in this world. And in the midst of all of this, he says, I still will bless the name of the Lord. So why would he say this? Because he discovered who God is. And that's what faith is. Faith in the first place is for all of us at some point to decide what are we going to do with God? What are we going to do with a God that doesn't want to hide from us? A God that's not trying to, to, to be hard to find, but a God that wants to reveal Himself because that's what David and I, and I read most of the Psalms when I prepared the sermon. Go read these Psalms. That's what David over and over again says in these Psalms. I found a God that wants to be found. And the place that I found God the most is in His revelation around me, in His creation. He's a shepherd boy who sits out in the field and he looks at the tree and he looks at the sky and he looks at the stars. 
Louise and I were walking this week uh, one morning, and I told her my sermon, and, and I said to her, I'm going to say this in my sermon, because we were walking underneath these oak trees. I said, look at this tree. It's a factory. That thing has a root that goes down and gets water, and it actually produces oxygen? In Fernand's house, and only, uh, 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 what's her name? Katie's house. I'm just kidding. In Fernand and Katie's house, there's little black box standing there, doof, 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 trying to make oxygen for little Eli. It needs to be plugged in. It's grabbing oxygen out of the air and it's compacting it and giving it to this little boy. He doesn't need that much, but he needs a little bit. A tree. There's the tree. It stands there. It creates oxygen and fruit and shade. David probably looked at a tree and he said, I can see God. Look at the smallest plant and how it's trying to survive. Look at the smallest ant and see how they are trying to survive. Look at the animals, look at the birds of the air, look at the sky. He sat at night and he saw the stars. And in all of this, if you look at what David says about God, he says, I found him. Maybe that's why we are struggling to find God, because we don't look around and up anymore to see what he can do. The second thing that David discovered in, 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 in the second way that God discovered was in the story of his people. If you read the Psalms, you will see that God, uh, David says, I see God has been with us all along. We didn't always do that well, but God has been with us all along, and, and at some point, David talks about his own life, and he says, I, if I look back at my life, it didn't always go that well, and it's now terrible, but I know God is with me. Because God won't let go of me. For I've hurt others. That's the third thing. Talk about their commitment to God in the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship. So there's a witness when you are not doing that well to say in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this hardship, in the midst of all of this that I'm experiencing, I still believe in God. And that's how God reveals himself to us through his nature, through his story, our own life story, and then through the lives of others. But then David comes to the second thing. He says, come taste and see that the Lord is good. You have five senses. Smell, sight, touch, hearing, and taste. You learned this when you were this big. So what is the most personal of all of these senses? Taste. Think about it. If you look at something, you don't want to see it, you close your eyes. If you hear something, you don't want to hear it, you just shut your ears or you walk away. If you don't want to touch something, you can feel the plate is hot, but you don't put your hand on the plate. You can feel it's warm enough and you can take your hand away. You can control a lot of these things except taste. <laughs> the moment when you put anything in your mouth, you know it, especially if it's sour and it doesn't really taste that well. There's this personal thing between us and tasting because the moment when you want to taste, you need to put it on your lips and then it's part of your body, it's part of you, who you are. Now David comes and, and he says this very interesting thing when I believe he's talking about faith. David comes and says, come and taste the goodness of God. It means that to David, God was not a far of God, but a God that came very close 
that He brought very close. A God that He made part of every small aspect of His life. You see, to be able to survive this world, you and I need to eat. So we eat breakfast and we eat lunch and we eat dinner and in between. So, so we are constantly eating because that's just part of who we are. And God, in, in, in David, in a sense, is saying, I'm making God part of my nutrition, my spiritual nutrition, where He's part of my morning, my afternoon, my evening, and the in-between. How do you do this? By seeking God. God wants to be found. And the only way that I can continue to believe in God is if I continue to seek Him. And in the midst of trial, in the midst of hardship, in the midst of pain, in the midst of the wilderness, God says, I am looking for God. And I found this God because in the midst of all of this rubbish I'm experiencing, I know that He's a God, He's, he's a God that's good. And it happens through prayer. And time and time again in the Psalms, you'll find that David prayed and prayed and prayed. And then, go and read Psalm 119, what the Bible says about the Scripture. And how important it is to hear what God also wants to say to us. So how can I know that God is good? How can I say to the world around me when I'm not doing that well, God is good? I can only say this when I've tasted something about God. And what do we taste about God? What did David find? He found the redeeming love of God. God that can make the useless usable. A God that can make the hopeless hopeful. A God that can make the defeated victorious. A God that came to this world in Christ Jesus to tell us, but I can help you turn your life around and I can help to give your life meaning. That's what the word redeem means. I can help you when you are deflated that you may know there is a reason for you to be and you have a reason to get out of bed and you can go on. He discovered a forgiving God. And that's what we all want in life. Every single human I've met in my life, almost that I spoke to, and would ask him, are, are there certain things that you are sort of sorry for that you've done? Do you have regrets? Almost every single person would say yes. Because I've done stupid. Because we are a bit stupid, aren't we? I have hurt and I've harmed on my journey through life so many people. And sometimes I lie awake, awake at night and I think, how can I be forgiven for what I've caused, the harm in my wake? Because we all have a wake behind us. What David has discovered, what the Bible tells us, is that this God would come to us in, this closeness, in, in closeness in the evening when we lie in bed and say, I'm the one that can forgive you. There's the story of this woman that was really sick, and she was lying in bed, and then this um, person was in town, and he was one of these notorious preachers. And he heard about this woman that was not doing well, so he rushed to her house and came in and grabbed her hand and said, I came here to forgive you your sins. And she said, weakly, very weak, she said, show me your hands. And he showed her his hands, and she said, I don't see any nail marks in your hands. You can't forgive me my sin, but Christ can. And He already did that for me. The encouraging love of God, that's what David discovered. <laughs> Man, he had troubles. Go and read the story of David. He didn't do that well for a long time. 
But time and time again when he was out, he thought he was out on his knees. He had no hope to go anywhere anymore. He would write the psalm and say, you know, but at the end, God is with me. I can do this. I can move forward because God will continue to encourage us because we are serving a God that's alive, a God that's present, a God that wants us to succeed. And then the correction. You see, this is the problem, and this is where the, um, the world doesn't want to, that's what the world doesn't want to hear. Come, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Faith means to have a God that we believe knows way more than I do. Faith means that I've decided to have a God because He's revealed Himself to, my, to me. Faith means that this God is not a far-off God, but my, my God, a God that I can relate to, that's part of my world, my every day, every moment. But faith also means that I bow before this God and I say, you know way more than I do. Because you are God. I, I, I will allow you to correct and to instruct me because I will not find my way through this world correctly because I can't be the God of my own life. And the rest of the psalm, I don't have time to go through this in my series as we continue. We will look at the correction part a little bit more. David comes back and he says, Amen. Listen to God and you will survive because God wants you to be successful. He believes in you. So what's faith in a time like this? I'm not a self-made person. I'm a God-made person. I believe I have the identity of God in me. I believe that I carry the image of God in me as all of us do. I believe that God has given me a place on this planet and a purpose on this planet and that God has a will for me and for you in this world and that I will fear and respect this God with all I have because He's the one that gave me the life that I have. That is the witness of us sitting in a church to a world out there that doesn't want to believe in God, but I can walk out to them and say, do you see this fingerprint on my thumb? It was given to me by God Himself that I may know how special I am. The second thing is, I'm cheered on. Not by humans. That's also there and important. It's okay. But I'm cheered on by a cloud of witnesses. Hebrews tells me there is a cloud of witnesses that cheers us on as we run this race of life. I'm never alone. It is as if the Bible wants to tell me in heaven they are cheering me on and say, Ferdy, go, go, go. It's hard, but hang in there because there's a reward at the end that can only be from God. And finally, I'm owned by God because He owns me. No one else and nothing else. God is who He says He is and will do what He promised. He promised us He will do. So when they made the movie, and I'm done, when they made the movie, uh, Ben-Hur, the, the, the director, said to, uh, 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 what's his name, uh, Charlton Heston, he said, you need to ride this chariot. And he tried his best, and at some point, Charlton Heston came to the director. His name was um, DeMille. And he said, I will be able to stay on this thing. <laughs> I'll be able to ride this thing. I will never be able to win a race on this thing. 
And the director said to him, Charlton, all you need to do is stay on it. I'm the director. I will make you win. That's how I feel sometimes about life. Lord, I'll try to live this thing. I'll try to stay in this thing. On this thing, I'm not sure if I'm going to win. The living Lord comes to you and me and he says, just stay in it. You will win. Because I will make you win. You are my child. Oh. Final slide. Oh, come and taste. That's not a statement. That's an invitation. That's an invitation. David is sitting there and he's writing to people sitting in the church in 2022. And he says, come and taste. That you can discover what I now know. That fills my life with meaning in the midst of the wilderness. Maybe that's what we should do when we are out there. When you see people say, come and taste. Taste what? You're going to give me lunch. Mm -mm. Come and taste with me and see that God is good. Amen. We now have time to serve the Lord with our gifts. The plate is not going through. It's in the back. You know this. It's time for us also to fill out a blue card if you want people to pray for you. And a pink card if you've got a thank uh, thank you that you would like to say, and thank you for supporting our ministries as we are involved in so many ways in the lives of people.
very much, Anna. Beautiful. Thank you. If you can, stand with me for a moment. apologize, O oh Lord, that many times we keep you far off. I have a God, but He's there, and I'm here. What David told us is that you are here with us, and should be. From the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed, interacting with our Lord and our God as we have a meal, listening, thinking, allowing you to be a part of every aspect of life. Because that's what you want to be. There to guide, instruct, and to protect. Thank you for providing for us life and means for living. And as we gave something back today, we ask that you will use what we have given, but most of all use us. As we still need to go out of this building and invite people, invite, invite, to come and taste and see who the only answer is to their search for meaning and for hope. So thank you that we can be here. And please, O oh Lord, continue to use us to the glory of your name. Amen.